This is Tom Fox, and I would like to welcome you to the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network, Readings and Felicitations. In this podcast series, I'm going to be visiting with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, historians, and a wide variety of other people on topics that are outside the area of compliance, but are of great interest to myself and to listeners to the Compliance Podcast Network. Today we start a five-part podcast series on some of the science around Star Trek. In this exploration, I'm joined by my good friend Ben Lockwin. Ben is a healthcare futurist, and he's also an astrophysicist, so he's uniquely situated to talk about the science of Star Trek. We had a lot of fun producing this series, and I hope you will enjoy it, listening to it as much as Ben and I did bringing it to you. Today we're going to take up three episodes uh, because they present three different uses of the phaser. So we're going to look at uh, the episode City on the Edge of Forever, where a person picks up a phaser by mistake and self-immoliates themselves. We're going to take up the episode Where No Man Has Gone Before, which is the only example of a phaser rifle uh, utilized, and then uh, a piece of the action. And in a piece of the action, Captain Kirk orders a phaser hit on a city block, but he orders Scotty to set phasers on stun, and it's the only example in the original series where phasers from the Enterprise itself, as opposed to a hand phaser or a phaser rifle, are used. So, Ben, uh, first of all, uh, welcome back. So, Ben, thank you, Tom. Uh, Thanks think, for hosting. Uh, every kid has uh, certainly in my generation growing up, we had a phaser. Uh, we had phaser pistols. We had the small phasers. We had Type Two phasers. Uh, for those uh, Star Trek original series geeks out there who knows what a Type 2 phaser is. Um, a couple of us had phaser rifles, but not too many. Uh, why don't we see people stunning each other on uh, YouTube uh, by using phasers today? That's a good question. Um, I think principally it comes down to the main problem with phasers or any sort of laser weapon is air. Um, so you've got to get around this so-called ionization problem. And what that means is anytime you create uh, something that would be the, the proxy of a phaser, um, you're using high-energy electromagnetic waves that you're shooting. And, and typically, like a handheld pen laser, these are what's called collimated, so you have all the wavelengths lined up. It's typically in a particular slice of the electromagnetic spectrum, and it's uh, also very high power if you want to use these to either stun or to damage a target. And so what happens is if you try to create these, you know, the difficulties that um, have been encountered by researchers doing this, including uh, for the defense industry currently, is um, you, in order to hit a target, you need to pass through a column of air. So between the phaser muzzle itself and your intended target, there exists, uh, you know, an arbitrarily large amount of air. And as the high-energy beam passes through this air column, it essentially ionizes this into uh, potentially a super-hot plasma, 
And in doing so, you're essentially losing all the damaging or stunning power of this phaser into the atmosphere. So by transforming and heating up the air column, you've lost all of the directed energy that you're trying to hit the target with. So right now that's a tremendous challenge, um, a, a challenge that's still being faced for military development of these and uh, also the reason why it's not very easy to create something like that for handheld use. And what's the difference between a laser beam and how phasers are portrayed in Star Trek? Well, I think the way phasers are portrayed in Star Trek, uh, you've got a, you know, a beam that's carrying some sort of uh, energy to its target of a particular wavelength. Now we can see it, so at least some portion of this uh, that they're drawing on the screen, of course, for the special effects, has to be in the visible spectrum. In a lot of cases with uh, laser weapons that are, are being pioneered now, uh, many of them are directing energy in the infrared portion of the spectrum, so between about 0.75 to 1,000 microns is the wavelength of infrared. And essentially, if you're using a laser device like that, you have a very high-energy beam at a very uh, small wavelength, so you don't have... Uh, a lot of energy being wasted across uh, other spectra in the electromagnetic spectrum, which should be directed to the target. So a good analogy for this is like the old incandescent household light bulbs. And I say old because they feel old now because we have LED light bulbs that everyone essentially has been mandated to buy. But the incandescent ones, the vacuum bulbs that we would screw into the sockets, um, you know, those we would spend a considerable amount of our energy cost for light that was not in the visible part of the spectrum. So the bulbs would get warm, and essentially what you were feeling from the warm bulbs of the lamp were electromagnetic waves in the infrared portion of the spectrum warming your hand. And those are invisible to the human eye, so anything that was doing any warming about a light bulb was energy loss that was not being available to use as visible light to help you read your book. And so... You know, the difference between, let's say, um, a bulb like that and what you would use for a laser or a phaser weapon is you're selecting a very narrow part of the spectrum to use as your directed energy. So the, uh, the, the, pre the precise term for this in uh, weapon development is directed energy weapon. So they call these things DEWs. And, um, you know, this problem that I mentioned about having to cut through the air, that starts to occur around one megajoule per cubic centimeter. That's a, around where air ionizes. And, um, you know, depending on the distance to the target, there is what's called um, this blooming effect. So the energy gets lost in the air just as though, um, you know, you've got heat lost from an incandescent bulb, which isn't useful for reading by. And most of the lasers that we're familiar with let's say it's the handheld pen lasers. Those are of a particular spectrum that, um, unless you shine them directly into your eye, uh, it, it, they're typically in the red part of the spectrum. A lot of those handheld lasers can also be green. The green uh, is perceived to be much brighter to us because our retinas are more, uh, we have some retinal cells that are more sensitive to the green part of the spectrum, but um, those are generally very low energy lasers, um, and therefore they don't disrupt the air column. Um, and essentially, you know, what prevents you from seeing that dot is more that the room is too bright or the distance is too far where the, the, the power of the laser isn't such that it can reach the end. Um, you know, but as far as the phasers that are used in Star Trek, um, 
you know, it appears to me watching the episodes that there's some sort of momentum transfer and heat and energy transfer. So there's a lot of energy being carried through the air, which doesn't seem to be disrupted uh, by the phaser weapons. So I would call it junk science. And one of the things we really did not see in Star Trek, the original series, was a defense to phasers, whether it be personal body armor or other. Uh, t- typically, the only entities or beings that could take a phaser hit, if I could use that colloquial phrase, were ones that tended to absorb the energy, which I think was the basic uh, premise behind the shields on the ship, uh, on the Enterprise. Is, is something like that even feasible as well? To absorb the energy, you mean? Yes. Yeah, in fact, uh, that's something that China's been working on very diligently, is uh, protective skins against lasers that, uh, for example, the United States may use during warfare. Uh, there are certainly materials that can be used to absorb and dissipate the energy of the laser. Um, there's also more passive systems where... Um, Let's say you have a uh, a jet that's traveling, and you can put these skins on that can absorb and dissipate some of this laser energy from a, a directed energy weapon. Um, there's also some work being done about how to make it so that uh, parts of the aircraft that may be hit by the laser can either rotate or uh, somehow or another change their morphology or move out of the way. So you don't have the exact same face being presented to the laser for a continuous amount of time. So, you know, if you think about something that, let's say, could rotate, as the laser's hitting different parts of um, the ship that's rotating, that energy doesn't have enough time to direct uh, enough uh, thermal impact onto the surface to either melt, disrupt, destroy the components. So, you know, certainly there's, there, there are material ways uh, to dissipate this energy, and then also uh, getting components out of the way of the, the path of the incident laser or phaser um, could also do the same sort of thing. But I should say that, you know, some of the weapons that are being developed, especially the non-lethal ones, which they call dazzlers, um, those are typically like flashing uh, laser sorts of, of uh, weapons for, for, let's say, crowd control, and they're just bright flashes. And so those operate more on the human biology side where um, you know, you're just trying to overwhelm the eye-brain system with a tremendous amount of brightness in a short pulse, and it's not so much that you're trying to transmit uh, energy for tissue destruction. Ben, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but I've been visiting with Ben Lockwin. Today, we have been looking at phaser technology. Ben, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you enjoyed our inaugural episode of Greetings and Felicitations. As I said in the intro, we're going to be exploring a wide variety of topics, some compliance-related, some not. So I hope you will join me in this most interesting adventure. Greetings and Felicitations is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. We have two other great new podcasts out on the Compliance Podcast Network. Check out From the Editor's Desk, where I visit with Compliance Week Editor-in-Chief Dave LaFort for a monthly wrap-up of Compliance Week stories and events, and the ESG Report, the first ESG podcast related to compliance. 